This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery, located in sunny Southern California in Malibu and Silver Lake. Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Bob, and Jared, to create a place that treats addiction with compassion and connection rather than control. It's really an amazing thing. They have decades of experience treating addiction, including severe mental illness and other co-occurring mental health disorders. They assure the most comfortable detox possible, which is critical when you're kicking dope or Coke or pills or whatever, alcohol. And they have amenities you wouldn't believe. The sweat lodge, equine therapy, the sound bath meditation, surfing. Of course, you're not going to go to treatment for amenities, but if you're going to treatment, you might as well get some amenities. If you're fucked and you need a place to go and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by CASL, which of course stands for Clean and Sober Love, the dating app for people who choose a sober way of life. It was created by one addict helping another to date safely. So here's the reality. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Marijuana Anonymous? CASL is the solution. Dating and recovery is real and worth considering if you have your shit together. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded people all over the world. Install the app now on the App Store or the Google Play Store, and it's free. And also, they changed a ton of shit. There's video chatting uh, so that you could see potential dates and talk to them uh, through video while you're quarantined and feeling lonely. If you're lonely and you're looking for a beautiful addict in recovery to consider dating, check out CASL. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the good people at Pink Cloud who created the Pink Cloud app. It is the ultimate meeting finder. They have over 245,000 anonymous 12-step meetings worldwide, and that includes N.A., C.M.A., Al-Anon, A.A. If there's an A in it, Pink Cloud could probably help you find it. They have over 20,000 online meetings. They have amazing tools to track your sobriety. Pink Cloud is safe, free, and anonymous. They never store your information. Complete anonymity is guaranteed. They have a new sobriety dashboard, which keeps track of your clean and sober time. It marks your anniversary or your birthday, depending on which side of the country you live on. It keeps track of your meeting attendance for the past seven days, 30 days, or 90 days, and it keeps you in tune to which step you are working on. It has a custom list of things you can do today for your sobriety, including tracking your inventory or your resentments. It is the most comprehensive app for anybody who attends 12-step recovery meetings. If you do and you want a little help, go to Pink Cloud at the App Store or the Google Play Store. For all your recovery needs, it's Pink Cloud at the App Store or the Google Play Store. Check it out. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through the wonderful Dopey Patreon account. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. We've been really putting a lot of work into the Patreon. Every week there's a new episode. Every episode is completely free. Last week we had Dopey Legend Tracy Helton Mitchell on the show. She brings the Dopey. She talks COVID, quarantine, 
fucking men jerking off in the fucking alleys of San Francisco while she shoots up. Tracy is the real thing. Check her out on Patreon. And while you're there, throw a couple of bucks. It helps keep Dopey happy, joyous, and free. And it takes me one step closer to getting out of the deli. So that's Dopey Patreon. Check it out. Also, check out www.dopeypodcast.com. Obviously, all the back episodes are there, plus the Dopey Podcast store, which I've partnered up with SRO Prince, which is a company out of Cincinnati, Ohio, made up of just recovering heroin addicts, and we have really cool Dopey stuff for you. This week, the unisex I Want to Be Good So Bad tank tops are available in blue, black, and white. They're fucking great. We have the cool long sleeves, the killer short sleeves, the crop tops, the dopey mugs. If you want dopey merchandise, you go to www.dopeypodcast.com. If you want any of the new highfalutin stickers, you Venmo me at Dopey Podcast and just send me some money and I'll send you some stickers. Oh, yes, there are also new, exciting, holographic Dopey stickers, Dopey Nation stickers, and the Dopey Coin stickers, all shiny and rainbowy. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the fucking show. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm in my attic, and it's the day of a hurricane. Uh, and I'm on the phone with my dear old friend, uh, who I'm incredibly angry at, Jim. <laughs> Welcome, Jim. And hello to everyone. Hello to the Toby Nation. How are you doing, Jimmy? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really glad to be talking to you. I've been looking forward to this all day, even though I've tortured you for the last hour and a half. Um, uh, I, I, I love you dearly, and it has been a crazy hurricane. Uh, here too, a lot of trees down. Fucking trees down, um, power lines down, booms, explosions. There was there was some terrible explosion in Beirut today, which I think was unrelated to the hurricane that was coming up the yes. the, the eastern seaboard. Seaboard is it a seaboard? Eastern coast. That's correct. Um, yeah, man, it's a fucking mess, and. Um, I don't know. Like my, my 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 girls were were in the park after this storm. All the playgrounds were closed because there was so much debris everywhere and a lot of. But they 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 were enjoying the puddles and the and the branches everywhere. It was it was actually nice at the end. Linda took Nora and Susan down to the water during the hurricane. <clears throat> Starting the hurricane? Why? Because she's crazy. Yeah, she lives dangerously. And um and she and Nora was like they took videos of Nora basically like leaning into the wind and uh and the wind holding her up and they had a good time. Linda Linda loves extreme weather like this. I would have gone. I've been just doing one thing after the next, you know, uh working on all this stuff. It's been like working from home with kids is like one of the worst fucking things in the world. That is correct. It's so bad. It's like, if only I had an office I could commute to. If, if only I had somewhere I could go that wasn't my father's house or Katz's. <laughs> but 
Um, you know, there's upsides to everything and there's downsides to everything. It's now 11 o'clock at night. We're getting ready to go on vacation this week, which is why I made sure that we're recording now because I need to have the episode done um, before we leave or else it's not going to get done. I did not know that. I just came back from vacation. You, my friend, need a vacation. You will feel, I hope, a lot better, although i got to say it's exhausting the kids, but... It's still good, just good to get new impressions. It's a big Russian thing, just have new visual impressions. They're always talking about that. I believe it. I mean, and I lo- we're going to go upstate. We're going to go to this hotel in, in um, like, the Catskills, and then we're going to go up to my dad's house. And I just love driving away, you know what I mean, and going mm-hmm. someplace else. And um, Yeah. But uh, I've had this weird thing. You know, Jimmy, you said that your ears have been infected, right? Well, we were in pools the whole time, so that didn't help, yeah. Before I got the the COVID, my ears were all clogged up, and I went to the doctor, and he was like, it seems like you have very waxy ears, and he wrote me a script, and I just didn't get it filled because I figured who really cares, you know? And and um and I've been swimming like every day this summer. You know, it, it, we go to the beach or we have this little kiddie pool or whatever. And um and finally like I've been getting water in my ears which I never used to get. And um and 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 it's been making me nuts. And uh so I went to the doctor yesterday and I went to the urgent care and they were like, "You have a lot of wax in your ears. Would you like us to take it out?" And I was like, yes. I was like, that's all I want. And the lady fucking takes out, like, basically a bottle of Windex, right, with a nozzle on it and jams the nozzle into my <laughs> head and starts squeezing and squeezing. Like, she's killing me. I feel like she's fucking killing me with this bottle of, of Windex. And I'm like, ah! And she's like, are you okay? And I said, I think you're a little rough with the, with the bottle. <laughs> And she's like, she's like, no, this is how you have to do it. And I was like, I was like, is that going to damage my ear? Because she's fucking jamming the shit into my ear. And then like with the trigger, you know, and um, and then she put she's like, hold this cup and I have to hold this cup against my head. Right. And uh, because all the wax is coming out into the cup. And she shows me, and it is so disgusting. It's like this fucking (laughs) cup filled with this weird soap. And then, like, I swear to God, it's enough wax to make a candle out of. It is disgusting. And she did both sides. And then she told me I was infected. My ears were infected. All right? Uh And, um, And then I can't swim for a week. And I was like, well, I'm swimming anyway. Because we're going away. I'm not gonna not fucking swim. Use use wax earplugs. It'll it'll seal your ears. That that, that that's what you got to do. You buy them before you leave. You can get them at the drugstore. I'm gonna buy wax earplugs because I need to go swimming. I can't go to I can't go on vacation and not swim. Are you there? So you'll probably yeah you'll probably have infected ears at the end, which is bring 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 some some very strong Tylenol. That's like that's what I was doing the whole time. Anyway, what I said to the doctor was, "Will you be upset if I go swimming and I come back next week with an ear infection?" And he said, uh, "He said, what do you mean?" And I said, "I said, doctor, I love swimming and I'm going on vacation and I want to go swimming." And he said, "Well, just don't submerge your head." And I said, 
I'm probably going to have to come back next week because I like, that's like, that's like my only escape is swimming underwater. Like, it's like, I I can't, I just don't want to go and not do it. Yeah. Well, do you think that's entire, you think that's fucking not smart? No, no, I did the exact same thing. There was there was no way I wasn't going to be in the water the whole time. But I, it's been it's been six months of hell, you know, with the kids, and the only way to burn all the sugar that they were eating constantly over there out of them was to stay in the water. And I wanted to be in the water, and it was hot as hell, and that was the whole point. So uh, yeah, I just now one earplugs, man. One thing about Jim Dopey Nation, if you don't know this about him, when he goes swimming. He has this whole routine where he puts on like he puts on goggles and then he puts on nose plugs and then he puts in ear plugs and he wears you wear fins I think and he's like this this guy so like it makes me question have you ever had this sort of wax issue and have you ever had them jam the nozzle into your ear Oh I I, I had the Russian style and in fact I had an ear infection that was so bad that my my eardrum popped um, which is very dangerous because the infection can go into your head and into your brain, um, and it, it's not so easy to hear without a without a eardrum. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but uh, they do different things in Russia. They do very weird things. To yeah, they get all the wax out, the same disgusting stuff. But then also for my eardrum, they were doing all this like moving the air in my ear and pushing water through my nose and out my mouth and it was all it was very it was very uncomfortable well i think like ear it's like so i never told you about this and i didn't tell the dopey nation about this but since uh covid started i've been involved with this weird tournament in the suburbs and it's called Prokadima. did i tell you about it no you've never mentioned this so nora has a friend and her parents are friendly, are like close with Linda. You know what I mean? And we've become friends. You know, our families have become friends. And the mother started this Prokadima tournament, okay? And basically the idea is it's a beach game with like wooden paddles and a blue ball. And you have to volley back and forth between you and your partner. And the person who wins gets the most volleys. You know, they keep the ball going the most. So to to determine the partners, they told everybody to take a ball and a paddle and bounce it as many times as you could. You know what I'm saying? Um, Uh To determine your skill level. Now, obviously, I've never played Prokadima. You know what I mean? I don't know what that is. Um, But she's like, the woman's like, all right, take a ball and take a paddle and go outside and bounce it. So, and this was in like April or something. So I take the ball and the paddle and I go out and I bounce it and Nora's outside with me and she counts and I get to fucking 420 fucking bounces. Okay. And everybody else gets like 150 and they're like shocked that I am like the superior Prokadima guy, you know, cause obviously nobody mistook me for being athletic or coordinated or anything like that. Um, uh-huh. so when I started the tournament, they matched me with the worst person and we didn't do well, but then as, as I did bad, they kind of matched the low person with the high person and they matched me with this woman 
and we won the whole thing, right? We got 128, and we destroyed everybody else. And then the next week, I got 120. So right now, I'm in first place in the Procadema tournament, okay? I'm dominating okay. Procadema, and I'm talking shit also. <laughs> and um, and so, la- so yesterday, or two days ago, we went to the Procadema thing, and the people have a pool... And I couldn't resist going into the pool. It was before I went to the doctor. But my ears were so clogged with water, I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear the whole night. And it was really scary. You know, like, I think ears are a very, very scary thing if they don't work. I imagine, like, losing my hearing and, like, just not hearing myself or hearing anybody. It's like a terrifying idea. Yeah, I haven't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't hear out of my right ear for the last five days of vacation. Was that the worst? It was just. Uh, it's we, you weirdly get used to it. I got used to being in a lot of pain, and I couldn't hear out of my right ear. <laughs> I don't know. You get used to it. I'm in these conversations, and I'm like, I just can't hear, you know. And it's like it's just the worst. And uh, and I didn't win. I didn't dominate this week. I had a partner. I love the guy who I was partners with, but he just didn't perform. He's just not a pro. He's not the pro Kadima player that I am, you know? <laughs> and they also like mocked me being like from the city and yet dominating pro Kadima. Are you surprised that I've dominated the suburban yard sport, Jim? Well, you were pretty good at handball back in the day. That's true. <laughs> but I'm I'm shocked that I'm dominating Procadema. I was terrified that I was going to be terrible and I've loved beating their asses to be clear. Yeah, you've always been pretty uh sporty. Your father is. I'm not sporty. My dad my dad is great at sports and I'm not great at sports. But um it's You're been not terrible. I'm not as you're bad. Just, you're just you're just you're just very lanky. You're longer than he is. You, you take after your mother. Like she was longer. I think you only say that I'm sporty because I'm not as bad as as, as you are at sports. <laughs> that is correct. But I, <laughs> that, is, that is correct. But I think we're both pretty terrible. I you're just yeah, much worse true. than me, and I'm much worse than everybody else. So I think that's funny. <laughs> um. So that's my Procadema story. I'm very proud to be dominating this suburban thing. I'm like, I'm ashamed of being so involved in such a suburban yard activity, but at the same time, I'm incredibly proud to be dominating them. <laughs> You're sounding more and more like Michael Jordan, man. Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, I finally watched The Last Dance, and shockingly, yeah. you watched The Last Dance also. Yeah, isn't that weird? You know who loved The Last Dance? Uh, no. Nora. Nora loved really? The Last Dance. She, she 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 came and watched it with me like every night. Except and there was a lot of cursing in it though. That's true. Dennis, well, he doesn't really. He, he does. He he cursed a lot. He, he said fucking a lot. And then Dennis Rodman talked about fucking chicks during it, and I was like, oh, oh. that's that's true. That's true. So you watch the last dance, and why don't you give a? I love I love your assessment of this thing. Well, it, it made me think of you uh, watching watching him because you you see him, you know, twenty years after the fact, talking about every little thing that he that pissed him off that he used in the next game 
to make to like rub their faces in it. And uh, and I, I told you about this. You, 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 I think you said yes. I'm the I'm the Michael I'm the Michael Jordan of crutching. Yes, that's, that's... I, I'm the Michael Jordan of complaining. I can complain. I, I don't think the Dopey Nation understands kvetching that well, but I am. Uh, yes, I can. I a... can complain on a on a fucking Olympian level. <laughs> it's not just. It's not just complaining. It's. It's. It's how quickly he took. He took offense at, at, at you know small. If someone if someone didn't you know come over to say hi to him at a restaurant, that was it. He was gonna destroy their team the next day so you're saying in terms of complaining and spite that i i operate on a very high level N- not that i'm in- incredibly driven you take offense quickly and you hold a grudge i don't hold yes. a grudge when do i hold a grudge you hold, you, you hold a grudge until until it's until like you let it be known which is kind of what he did like he held the grudge until he let it out on the on the not the field on the on the court now, normally, when someone tells someone else that they remind them of Michael Jordan, it's a it's a it's a it's a good thing. But this doesn't sound like yeah. It seems like I remind you of his worst qualities. Well, it was it was maybe not like a great quality in a in like your average you know like a good friend that you're looking for. But it was the quality that made him Michael Jordan. He he created this this fire to. You know, to push himself past whatever. Jim, wait, 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 Jim. I'm probably yeah, your yeah. best friend, and you're saying it's yeah. not. It's not the quality that you look for in 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 a friend. <laughs> and yet, I, I'm probably, I'm arguably your closest friend. I'm one of your closest friends, if not your closest friend. Wouldn't you say that's true, Jim? Uh, I yes, I, I I definitely talk to you more than probably anybody else, even my wife right now. And yet my qualities are terrible qualities. <laughs> I, I have the Michael Jordan quality of being a dick, being quick to anger, overly competitive, and not and I lack his talent, is what you're saying. Well, I I'm just saying, you know, it, it like everything, it's it, it's dual sided. It, it it also accounts for your kind of it's like this, like the same thing that made you a drug addict has made you never miss an episode of Dopey. Right. You know what I'm saying? That's, it's this, they're the same thing. It's uh, this crazy perseverance. It's this, like, right. you know, zero to 100. You know, it's... Well, 100% is that I'm all in. Once I'm all in... That's what I mean. I'm fucking all in. That's what I mean. You know? But that's, that's, true. that's true when you get really angry about something... Or when you are really excited about it and really happy about something, you know, it's just, it's, it's always very, it's, it's not hidden. It's always very honest and it's right, right out there. Well, I remember when, um, I remember. You were not, you were not a repressed person and neither, neither, neither was Michael Jordan when he was, when he was playing for the Bulls. Well, I aspire to be as great at podcasting as Michael Jordan was at basketball. And I think it's not, I don't think it's that far-fetched. I think I can get there. I think my spite level is up there. I think my complaining (laughs) level is up there. Obviously my basketball level will never be up there, nor my business acumen, my skill at gambling, 
You know, the dude looks so fucking amazing in that movie, though. He's just smoking cigars, drinking whiskey, and you could tell how much he loved his team and also how much his team hated him. That was interesting, too. They hated but respected him. Yeah. He drove yeah. them. He drove them. I drive nobody. Yeah. I drive my family crazy is the closest yeah. that comes this to is, this is This is where the comparison ends. Right. Exactly. I, 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 think, I think people people love you. You know, I, I, don't think, I, I don't think there's that hate respect thing at all with you. Uh, who knows? But um, today's guest. You, 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 do, you do drive people nuts, though. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I'm maddening. I make people insane. Um, yes. But that's only because I'm so passionate and full of love. And so honest, yes. Well, I'm sure there's... Uh, there's honest, honest to a fault. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of... It's because I can't do it any other way, you know? I know, I know, I know. Um, I was so excited to get today's guy on the show uh, because, like, the dude... It's the dude... Because- why? I, I, I remember when on your birthday when uh, Linda had had that game where we had to like know different things about you. Do, you. do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. And one of the questions was like, what are the two shows that that Dave rewatches and rewatches and rewatches? And I, I it was very obvious to me what those two shows were: uh, Mad Men and The Sopranos. Well, I would say and it's four shows. Or three shows. I would say it's, it's Mad Men, The Sopranos, The Wire. Those are the three. And then other times, like, I'll watch Breaking Bad or I'll watch Oz or I'll but watch... Do, do you, but do you go back to The Wire over and over to, like, take you somewhere? I do. Like, like, I do. I do. You do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to go hang out with my old friends in Baltimore. Um, right. Because, th- I mean, like, dude, uh, it's depressing like how much comfort I get from it. And the worst thing is that when it's over, I'm depressed that I can't go back for so long because the lines will be too stale. You know, if the yeah, lines yeah. weren't so stale, I would literally watch it over and over again. The Wire. Do you think this is this is some kind of like last tether to 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 the, the life you led when you were on heroin? Cuz you watched a lot of television on heroin. I used did. to watch a lot of television before heroin, too, though. I mean, the truth is that I, I'm not watching a lot of TV now. Um, when I was commuting into the city and I was working events, I would have one of these shows in rotation, The Wire, The Sopranos, Mad Men, Oz, uh, The Night Of, whatever. You know what I mean? And I would use it as a tool to decompress, or Arrested Development. I would use it as a tool to decompress where I would watch it and my brain would relax. I would be trans. I mean, also, like, I always say this, that it's kind of like a time machine for me, that when I watch a show, I'm transported back to the other times I've watched it, um, which is very... I know. I, I, well, that, this is the strange thing. is like, it's comforting to you, but you're being transported to a time when, like, life was pretty hard. But um, on the other hand, when I was addicted to heroin... I didn't. There were no expectations of me. All I had to do was eat, eat and watch TV. Um, right. And now there's a ton of expectations on me. But let's not jump yeah. ahead. It's more important all to right, introduce. Right. Sopranos. T- the whole point was the Sopranos, right? The whole. That, uh, what I was trying to say was I understood your excitement from you know getting one of, one of the, the main 
the main faces you see on that show, like every episode. Right, and I think he's a misunderstood character, and I think he's uh, obviously he's one of us. He's an addict. Not not that you're necessarily an addict, but I would say you're one of us anyway. Do you feel like you're a member of the Dopey Nation, Jim? Uh, adjunct or honorary? I, I mean, I, I feel like you know this show has helped me through very very hard lonely time. Like I think it has for a lot of people. So uh, you know. It hasn't helped me through addiction, but it helped me survive a foreign land for, you know, a decade. So, But you've also, like, been interested in using tools that help me with addiction, with issues and stuff. You know, like... I, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like my, my thing is... is te- it's funny we're talking about this, but it's television. Like, that's my... Like, just getting enough sleep and watching television and taking taking care of myself as opposed to... You know, they say like not getting enough sleep is is the next day you're it's like you're drunk. You know, there are studies that you act very similar to someone who's drunk. You know, you're keeping your keeping yourself down basically. Right. It's, right. Um, yeah. And I think that this guy who played AJ Soprano, Robert Eiler, had had similar issues to that. Like he wasn't sleeping well, he wasn't eating well, but he was yeah, also addicted yeah. to drugs. I remember when he said that. That was the, that was the thing that that really rang rang like like resonated with me when he when he said, you know, just like it had never occurred to him to to listen to his body and that if he's tired, go to sleep. Like just that just that idea that was that you know that never occurred to him. It was always if you're tired, you know, introduce something to to your body to alter that feeling instead of. You know, taking care of what that what the feeling is telling you to do, Jimmy. Jimmy, you're ruining his interview. Let's play the interview, and then you can reflect on what he said. But if you reflect before he says it, the audience doesn't know what he says. It. You understand what I'm saying? I, th- I thought that I, I kind of thought that. Right, that makes sense. Sorry, I thought that this was after you had already played that. All right. Sorry. No, we're gonna play it now, and then you can reflect on uh, on Robert Eiler and uh, and okay. his his life in and out of addiction and recovery. Here he is. Okay, it was okay. and, and like I just want to say this. Like I've been trying to get Robert Eiler on the show for a long time. He's not on social media. He's like in the wind, I thought, but he has a podcast he does with the actress who played Meadow on The Sopranos. They have a podcast called Pajama Pants, which is not huh. about The Sopranos. It's just like it's basically the dumb shit of Dopey. They sit around in their pajama pants and talk about dumb shit and have guests. And that's how I got a hold of him. Was Meadow the sister? Yeah. I was on stage with her once. Why? Is this not... Yeah, nobody, uh, nobody cares, Jim, but why? Nobody I, cares. <laughs> why? Nobody cares. <laughs> Tell me why. Um, I was working for a museum. We were trying to get kids to come to, the, come to this museum, and she was on stage trying to get the kids to be aware of uh, anorexia. I think it would have been more interesting if in elementary school, she went to elementary school on the Upper West Side and you played the tap dance kid in the Upper West Side version (laughs) of the tap dance kid and were on the stage with a young Jamie Lynn Siegler. But your the museum story is not that not that it's good. not so good. No. no, no, that wasn't my mother's story. And the, Dopey Nation, yes. if you didn't know this, not only does Jim wear nose plugs, ear plugs, and goggles when he swims, <laughs> he was a pretty good tap dancer. I was a pretty good tap dancer. I still know the time step. Yeah. 
And Although, he's an amazing artist and amazing sculptor. But that's all right, all right, all right. All right, just take it easy. Here we go. Robert Eiler, it's a joy to have him on the show. He's also a very sweet guy, but here we go. All right. Uh, I'm crazy. I'm always excited. When I do these interviews, I'm always excited. But today, it's like another level. And, and the do- our fans are called the Dopey Nation. And the Dopey Nation knows how fucked up I am over The Sopranos. I, I watch five shows in cycle. I watch The Sopranos. I watch The Wire. I watch Mad Men. And I watch Breaking Bad. And when I feel lonely, I watch The Sopranos. And our guest today is like a member of the Sopranos. He's a Soprano. He played AJ Soprano. His name is Robert Eiler. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I uh, I know there's some things in your life where like you don't do and you know you're wrong and you just there's nothing you could do about it. And that's how I feel about not having watched The Wire. Like I I know I'm wrong. Dude, you're not wrong. You have an amazing opportunity in front of you. No, I've tried. I try and watch the first season of The Wire, and I just, I'm like, man, this is so fucking slow. But you also never watched The Sopranos. No, I think the only HBO show, well, I've seen Curb and everything, but the only HBO show I know that I've seen front to back is uh, Eastbound and Down, for sure. That was one of my favorites. I never watched Eastbound and Down. You know what HBO show I loved is The Night Of. It's one season. Oh, yeah, that was great. That's a good fucking show. Well, you know, now, James Gandolfini was supposed to play the part of um, Tutorial. John Tutorial. Yeah. 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 That was right when he died? Yeah. That's terrible. Um, fucking terrible. Do you know that you're the third Sopranos cast member? No, you're the fourth Sopranos cast member that I've had on Dopey. I do know. I listened to your episode with uh, Michael Imperioli, so I heard it. Then it was three. I'm happy I could make it <laughs> be the well, fourth one. And you're also the first one with who actually played a soprano. Did you hear with Michael Imperioli when I got him to reenact the scene with the junkie in the car? It's the fucking no. best thing. I, I, there's a scene, you never watch The Sopranos, but there's a scene, where, which is funny as hell to me, uh, where Christopher is paying uh, an assassin uh, in heroin. The assassin is also a junkie, and Christopher is trying not to use. And he gives the junkie assassin a bunch of dope, and then he relapses with the junkie, okay? Right. And the, the dude who played the junkie was a guy named Eduardo Bellini. Do you know that guy? No. I mean, it sounds familiar because of the name Bellini, but no. He was some actor like who played the, the assassin, and I contacted him on Twitter, and I asked him to come on Dopey and reenact the scene with me. And he was like, no fucking way. And then I got Michael <laughs> Imperioli to do it, and he did it. It was, like, it was like one of the best moments of my life. I have two kids, and reenacting that scene with <laughs> Michael Imperioli was like the greatest thing ever. But let's talk about you. I think it's way more interesting to have you on the phone than talking about my dumb forays into Sopranos lore. Oh, I love um, it. Did you go to SopranoCon? No, dude, I don't do anything. I just work and come home and make a podcast. But I wanted to. I heard all, I heard all about it. Um, and, of course, Robert has his own podcast, and that's how I, like, got a hold of you. I've heard people for years be like, Robert Eiler's in recovery, Robert Eiler's a drug addict, you need to get him on the show. And I had no idea how to get you on the show until I heard about your podcast, Pajama Pants. I guess almost a year ago, I moved out to, I spoke to Jamie Lynn Sigler, who played Meadow on Sopranos, and I said to her, basically, uh, we talked about starting a podcast, and I was like, listen, if you're down to do it, I'll move out to LA, 
uh, in September. That's when I did. So September will be a year. And she said yes, and we started. I moved to L.A. on a Tuesday, and we recorded our first episode on a Wednesday. That's so beautiful. And you were living in Vegas. You're playing poker. And I could just I get this sense from when I listen to you and Jamie, even on pajama pants, that there's a real like she really loves you like a, like an older sister would, you know, and, and she's really concerned about your well-being. And uh, it's beautiful. And you could you could tell how much you love her. Like the bond is really strong. Is that do you, is that right? Am I picking up the correct thing? Big time. Yeah. I mean, I was on Saturday. I was at her house. We were barbecuing and I was hanging out with her kids and it's like she's I, I was actually on pajama pants talking to her about this where there's I'm sure you've read like four agreements and books like that right sure so they there's a thing in four agreements where they talk about like if, if you say to your kid all the time if your kid is walking around the house singing and you're like would you shut up would you would you stop would you it's like your kid could never will never grow up to be a singer because they have it in their head like whenever they try and sing or they they get told to shut up and this and so they they, even if they're a great singer they'll have in their head that they're not and i think from 24 years of people calling jamie lynn my sister my brain because i have two sisters no one has said spoken about my sister my sister my sister as much as jamie lynn like they've been called She's been called my sister way more than either one of my sisters. Right. But in the same way that I don't look at her in like a sexual way, I don't, uh, you know, the way that we care about each other, it really is like I'm pretty sure it's burned into me that she's a family member of mine. and And that's how I feel about her. But you can just also tell that you guys actually like each other. Just because you're siblings on a show doesn't mean you're going to like each other or you're going to give a shit. It it totally sounds like the the relationship is real. And uh, you were 12 when The Sopranos started? Yeah, so we, we shot the pilot in 1997, I think, and then it took a year. I think it took a year before uh, we shot the first season. So, yeah, in the first episode, I'm 12, and then in the first season, I think I'm 13. And was the chemistry with Jamie like right away? Like, did it, or did it take time, or how did that happen? Yeah, no, we we always talk about like I can't remember right getting close, and this it was like we just instantly because there were a lot of things like you know uh, young star awards, and they'd fly us out to L.A. to, and it was only the two of us because it was like eighteen and under. These award shows would be so they would fly. Jamie and myself out and we would each bring a parent like our parents would hang out and then me and her would hang out right so and there was a lot of stuff like that you know like when we would do any kind of functions or this there were just times where it was like things were going on with the adults and me and her would kind of you know figure you know I'd be trying to sneak a cigarette outside and she'd be telling me not to do it you know right right and uh and I was listening to a bunch of your pajama pants episodes today and one that really caught me, obviously, because our podcast is about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I listened to your episode with Dr. Drew, um, who's been on Dopey a bunch of times. But like hearing you describe, you know, you said it's you said to him that you had started drinking and smoking when you were like twelve. So yeah. did it happen before you got the show, or was it like a celebratory thing from getting the show? Did it relate to the show at all? No, the, you know what happened was like there. I had oh, even earlier than that. I was I, I had definitely like had a couple of sips of beer or, or sneak like half a like somebody left their beer on the counter and I take it and I drink half one and this. But I remember 
uh, my mom had always told me because I have asthma that if I smoked a cigarette, I would die. So I was always – my friends would be smoking cigarettes when I was like 9, 10, 11. You know, it was New York City, and they'd be smoking cigarettes, and I was like, no, I, I can't, man. I'll die. I'll die. And then I remember when I was 12 – uh, smoking, we smoked a blunt for the first time, and I was like, I thought I was gonna die. You know, like I was like, all right, this is it. You know, like you're 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 risking your life right here because I was convinced. I'm like, there's there's a good chance I'm about to die. And then once I smoked and didn't die, it was just game on. You know, right? Well, you were willing to die, also. I mean, you you thought you would die, and you were like, fuck it, give me the blunt, I'll hit that shit. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then I remember smoking my first cigarette was a Marlboro Red, and even though I had smoked weed already. Uh, I thought I was going to die from that too. It was like a week later and I had had like four Coronas and my friend like was smoking a Marlboro Red and I was like, fuck it, man. I was like, give it to me. Like if I, if I die, I die. And I remember taking the first hit of the Marlboro Red and I got so lightheaded that like I fell backwards into a bookcase and I was like, oh man, I was like, this is what people are fucking doing all day. Like I thought every hit (laughs) of a cigarette was like that. I was like, yo, people are fucking crazy. Right. And then, uh, right. you know, by my third cigarette, I realized I'm like, oh, OK, that that goes away, you know, yeah, that's over. The joy is over. Um, I stopped smoking like two and a half years ago, almost three years ago. I guess it's around three years ago now, actually. But that's one thing that I still crave. I, I smell cigarettes and I still want to smoke them. And I know that if I smoked a cigarette now, I would like fall backwards like that. You know, I don't want to smoke, but I, I, I miss the smell of cigarettes. I, I, you stopped smoking, right? Yeah, I stopped smoking like five years ago. I'll still I'll smoke weed like maybe sometimes it's like once every three months. Sometimes it's like three days back to back. It all depends on what I'm doing, who I'm with. But weed was a thing where like I never I never had that addict thing uh, to weed. Like weed is something that it's like, hey, it's the end of the night. I can take a hit off a bowl and sleep better or chill out or whatever, you know. You didn't. You didn't smoke, but you didn't smoke, but addictively. You're saying it wasn't like. Well, I, I like. We did because that was just we did everything that way. But when I was going through, you know, I had to get off of benzos and opiates and alcohol and this. But weed was never. You know, cigarettes was tough. All these things were tough. And with weed, I was like, I don't. I I don't see it as the same thing. You know, like it's. I just have a different relationship with weed. Luckily, where like. You know, uh, the first month of Corona when it was like you have to sit inside, I was like, well, I'm going to smoke weed fucking every night. Like, you know, I'm going to wake up, meditate, work out, do yoga. And then around 8 o'clock, why would I not fucking smoke weed? I can't see anybody. That... And then like three weeks in, maybe a month in, I realized like, man, I'm, I'm fucking – this is – I'm becoming like Gollum in here, you know? Like I'm just right. – I'm, I'm like closing the shades I'm because I hadn't seen anyone. All the news is telling me like you're going to die. You're going to die. So uh, I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to smoke weed. So how long with everything else then? I haven't drank or done like, you know, the Molly and the these these kind of drugs in over seven years, probably seven and a half now. Right on. For me, it's different, I think. It's like I'm, I'm a heroin addict. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. And um, if I smoke weed, I loved weed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and if I smoke weed, like... If I smoke weed, I'm going to think about smoking weed. Like, if I say, tonight I'm going to take a bong hit, or tonight I'm going to smoke a joint, I'm really going to want to do it tomorrow. That's just how I am. And and then if I'm smoking weed, I'll smoke weed every day. Like, like when I, I was a heroin addict and I got off of heroin, and, um, and I got off of everything for a little bit, and I started dating this stoner girl, 
And I was like, and I miss, and, and, and Hurricane Sandy hit, and I was like, fuck it, I want to I get high with this girl, you know? Yeah. And I smoked weed with her, and then I smoked weed every day, you know what I'm saying, for, I don't know, three years or something. Right. And, and, and then I started doing, on the weekends, I would get benzos, I'd get Xanax, or I'd get Percocet, I'd get Clonopin, I'd get Vicodin, you know? I'd get whatever I could get, but I would never get a lot. I would only get enough for a few days, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? And yeah. it would be like once a month, I'd get like three or four pills, or then I would get six pills, and it never turned into like heroin addiction again, and it never turned into daily pill addiction, but like... For me, it just rolls. You know what I mean? It would. I bet you in a couple of years it would have turned into more. So like, I'm, and I have two kids, and I'm you know in a house with family, blah blah blah. I'm like, I don't want to take a risk. I don't want to see where it goes. I know what it's like to be high, so I just keep it in a box. You know, that's just because I cannot. I, I, I like lost forty one years of my life to this shit, basically, and I just want the next chapter of my life to be like how I you know, how I earn it, you know what I mean? Without, I'll just fuck it up. You know, if I get high, it will not go the way I want it to go. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just the way I look at it. That's, that's how I feel about, um, Percocets, you know, like if somebody's like, Hey, it's a Friday. Why don't you just, you know, it's like when dessert comes to the table and you're like, Oh, I'm not eating, uh, and people are like, Oh, come on, have, you know, just tonight. And I'm like, yeah, but then when I go out to dinner tomorrow and somebody says just tonight, I go, yeah, just, just, so like people, I, I Percocet definitely has that thing over me. Where when I was addicted to benzos, it wasn't the same. It was like I was, I didn't have that like licking my lips. I'm gonna take Xanax for Xanax for me. It was like oh, I need this to get by. Like this is what makes me fucking normal. Where with yeah. Percocets, it was like mm, you know, like I and I would fucking lay in bed every night and I'd be like, all right, tomorrow. Like, we're not going to fuck it. Tomorrow's going to be the day where we, you know, we take, we slow down. We don't take Percocet. We don't. And every, every fucking morning I'd wake up, go to my fucking nightstand. Oh, but I had a bottle of pills, pop a Percocet. And then it was just next thing I know, it was 15 hours later and 15 Percocets later. And just, right. all right, time to go to sleep. And I'd lay in bed and be like, all right, tomorrow, you know, we're not going to. And I just fucking. I love that we're we're not going to. Now uh, it's like you, you and <laughs> yeah. me. We're we're not going to do it tonight. Um, right. l- let me let me ask you this though. Like back then, when you were talking about your first blunt, drinking beers off the tables, your first cigarette, was it before or after you became AJ Soprano? It, it was all before. Like I I didn't really become the AJ Soprano people knew until like you know maybe fourteen ish because you have to film the first episode then there's a year between that and the first season and then you have to it takes you know six months however long to film the first season then they got to edit that then they got to figure out when at hbo it's going on so i think it didn't come on until 1999 so i would be at least 14 right and and i mean just from hearing your story and from me being like a ridiculously rabid sopranos fan i can't help but see parallels between you and the character like like uh, when he's fucking whatever, however old he is, when he gets the confirmation, he gets like drunk and stoned in the garage, right? Right. Isn't there, and and the mother calls him a filthy animal for <laughs> getting for getting stoned well, on the, filthy, at his confirmation. Fil- filthy animal is Home Alone. She called me an animal. <laughs> right. I'm sorry. I, forget that. Forget the adjective of filthy. 
But it's a great scene, and you play stoned so well in that scene as a little kid. You know, you looked stoned. Um, do you remember that doing that and knowing? And did you have to access being stoned? Like, like how did it affect you being a, a young a young kid who was actually smoking weed, playing a character who was fucking up smoking weed? You know, I I honestly don't remember that at all. The, the, what I remember is uh, being in the garage because that was the only, that was one of the only scenes I ever filmed in the garage at the Sopranos house. So in the Sopranos. Whenever you see inside the Sopranos house from the second episode until episode 83 or whatever, we're on stage in Queens, New York. We were at Silver Cup Studios. But when we did the backyard or the garage or something like that, we would actually drive out to Jersey and go to the house that has the driveway that he walks down to get the paper. So, uh, yeah, I remember just being at the garage and they were like, okay, you know, inside – your confirmations going on, you know, like that's, that's the kind of vibe. Cause it's, it's not, you know, we do the confirmation at the stage Silver cup, and then, right. yeah, exactly. So they're like, all right, here's what's going on. And I kind of remember that. I remember being like, okay, we're sitting in the corner in a garage, but I don't remember the scene or anything, but I was also, you know, uh, the reason why I think I got the job was because in the, audition we had i had to say fuck like uh no fucking zd so they would have me say it and i would just say it like you know like this like you know are we fucking done here you know like is is it what like that was my kind of attitude and i think all these other 11 year old kids were like hey fucking like you know they really would they wouldn't do it like it was part of their vocabulary so that's just how kind of the approach i took to the whole show you know like yeah this is this kind of you know the there's there's not that many prototypes of, you know, 12 years old when you're 12 years old, you know? I'm like, okay, there's there's the, the nerds and then there's the kids who are smoking weed and drinking, you know? Or there's like right. the, the jocks, I guess. But in New York City, there were no jocks, you know? We didn't have – none of my schools had uh, sports teams or played any sports or this. So it was like the kids who were geeks and did good in school and then the kids who fucked off and drank and partied. And I was like, well, I know – which one I am, and it seems that's the one who AJ is. So I'm like, all right, we'll just fucking roll with this, you know? Totally, totally. But I mean, the other, I mean, there's a lot of though things that happen because after the Sopranos was done, you started having panic attacks, and AJ had had panic attacks in the show, right? I mean, yeah. Do you, do you, I mean like, and AJ partied to the point where he fucked up his life. You know what I mean? And he he had anxiety where it fucked up his life. And it sort of it did it hit you at the same time or what from what I understand is it hit you afterwards. Yeah, after Sopranos I started but what I really think was going on was um when I look back is I was doing so much damage to my body that I really think it was my body's way of telling me like hey, we we can't handle this, you know? Like you you can't keep like I would wake up every day, eat chicken fingers and french fries or cheeseburger and french fries, and then I would decide what kind of day it was. Am I going to drink today and then do fucking blow all night and stay up for three days or four days? Or am I just going to sit here and take Percocet and Xanax uh, all day? You know, I wasn't taking Xanax at this time because I hadn't had uh, anxiety attacks. But uh, am I just going to sit here and take Percocets and smoke weed all day? And it was... 
I was 22 years old. I didn't have a job, and there was no reason for me to get a job. I had made good money doing Sopranos. I was supposed to be a super, you know, like that was my path in life. Like my family was like, if everything works out perfect for you, you'll have your grandfather's job, which was a super. So in my head, I'm like, this is as I'm at the top. What am I, you know, what am I, what am I going to do from here? So I was like, I'm just going to do what I didn't maybe feel like I didn't get to do, which is hang out with my friends, party, have a normal life, just chill. And that just became, you know, all of a sudden I realized like, hey, there's not a lot of people who can hang out from my friends on a Wednesday at three in the morning or, you know, on a Wednesday night period or a, or a you know, Tuesday night or a Monday night or a Sunday night. And I started being like, OK, I'm alone all the time. I'm taking started taking pills, started, you know, you're, you're drinking, you're doing whatever. And then it just my bot and I'm smoking like three packs of fucking cigarettes sitting in my apartment playing online poker. And I think finally my body was like, dude, you're you're killing yourself you know so i just right. and instead of looking at that and understanding it my friend was like yo if you take xanax you won't get those panic attacks and that was it i was like bing okay so next but, thing you know i'm taking you know a bar and a half uh every single day and i don't even think i'm addicted to it or anything like that because i'm like yeah i don't really like it i just take it so i don't you know so i can leave my apartment or get in the elevator or do whatever I mean, I found benzos to be like, I mean, I loved, I loved, you know, I loved weed. I loved heroin, but benzos suited my brain so much. Like I would take Xanax and I would feel like everything was all right and everything was going to be all right. And I would take handfuls of Xanax. You know what I mean? Like I would like take way like, you know, there were days that I would take, you know, 20 milligrams of Xanax or something, you know, or more, you know, it was like, it was a mess. Yeah. But what I guess, and and forgive me, because I'm going to harp on this for a second, because I, I can't help it. No, go you for play, it. You played this character that had panic attacks, and that was almost the defining moment in his young life. And and then you had a panic attack. Did you, did you like, think, holy shit, this happened to AJ? Was there any thought about about that you had just been through this in a fictitious environment and now it was real? Like, did, did you think about it at all? Like, Zero. or am I just like... <laughs> yeah, never. Why not? I, never I don't really... get it. <laughs> think know, about I it just... now. What, what do you think, man? I don't know. I kind of like... I also think that so many people were having panic attacks at the time that it would be like... You know, it'd be like, hey, your favorite food is pizza and so is AJ's. And I'd be like, yeah, well, pizza's fucking great. Like, you know, like everybody right. loves pizza. Like that's – I just felt right. like like living in New York City, the people who I knew, especially people who were into drugs and everything, most of them had had a panic attack at some point in their life. Or even people who have never had a panic attack think they have, you know. Like my right. uh, uncle had one for the first time during coronavirus and he's like, dude – my whole life, I would say, like, oh, I had a panic attack. I had He's like, I had no idea what it was really like. And I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, you think you're dying. You think you're having a heart attack. Yeah, I never I never had a panic attack. I, I just loved getting high. Um, <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Um, I, I just was a neurotic Jew, and uh, and I thought too much about shit. And when I took benzos, I'd think less about shit, and I was very happy about that. You know, I was I was very glad to think less about everything, and mostly myself. I, I just wanted to not care about stuff, and it let me not care about stuff. Obviously, if you were taking that many Xanax and Percocets, you had to withdraw at some point. Uh, yeah, so my last, the last one I remember 
uh, well, which was like I was at a friend's house and I just told them like, yeah, I'm not feeling well because I knew I was kicking them. And I was like, I'm just going to fucking lay in this bed for two days. And I have pictures on my phone of like the fucking sheets are all sweaty. The best way I – how people always ask me like describe like, oh, what's it like when you kick Percocets? For me, it's like if you're laying down, you want to stand up. If you're standing up, you want to lay down. And you're like – and right. then when you think – let me just get comfortable in bed and just sit there. It feels like the bed is full of sand, you know, like you're just like, uh, like you, you're fucking turning and you're, and then you're turning the other way and you're just like, God, why can't I fuck it? You know, like it's this horrible thing. But also I never was taking 15 Percocet and then stopped. You know, I would always be taking 15. Then I'd be like, all right, tomorrow we're going to take 12 and then we're going to take fucking eight and then we're going to take four and then two. And then I would, and then I would stop, you know? So it wasn't the full, full, uh, like insanity crit, but it's still like it, it was the same shit, like getting out of my system. And then I remember I was laying there for maybe like on the third day, I was laying there and I felt like such shit. And I was kind of, and I remember just like moving one way, moving another way, standing up. And I put my sneakers on and I walked outside. And I went for like a three mile walk and I was like, wow, all these birds are chirping. And, th- and it just, it just at that moment, it got out of my system. And I was like, what the fuck was I doing? Were you ever strung out on pills when you guys were shooting the Sopranos? Never, ever. Never. I, so that, never. I mean, that's pretty amazing. I mean, and you never, you never went for Oxycontin or heroin or anything. Nothing, yeah, because luckily I, uh, I had enough money, you know, because most of the stories you hear are, it comes down to money, right? Where people are like, hey, man, this is cheaper and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or, or you know, some people just want to get more fucked up and see what the next level right. is like. But for me, uh uh, I remember I was at a deli one night after leaving a club and some guy comes over to me and he's like, yo, man, I love your show. And I was like, thanks. And it was the time that show, the OC was on. Right. And I'm standing at the counter waiting to pay. And he's like, yo, man, OC. And I was like, no, I was like, Sopranos. And he was like, nah, man. He's like, OC. And he reached into his pocket. He pulled out Oxycontin. And, oh I, was my like, God. and I was like, nah, like I'm good. And then I remember when I was getting deeper into Percocets one day, I took a Roxy. And I just – I knew at the second I took that and I was fucking like three hours later, I was like, OK, I, I just – I can't go beyond Percocet because otherwise I know exactly what's going to happen. You know, like it's 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 just going to be fucking pedal to the metal. This, So I just pulled it back because also, you know, I unfortunately, a lot of people who deal with addiction uh, – and I think this is the way I would have been if I never got Sopranos or was never had some kind of successful thing or like a passion where – you know, it was like, hey, man, you know, when it was something like the Oxycontin, it was in the back of my brain being like, hey, man, you got it, re- you got it real good. Like, you know, we everything's fucking great. We were on a TV show. We're, we grew up poor and now we have like money. Let's not let's not totally fucking ruin this thing, you know, where if I was 22 or even whatever, 21, 19, and I was still living with my mom and in that same room and in the same building I grew up in, and I had no passions and no this. And somebody was like, hey, man, Oxy or heroin or this, like, who fucking knows? Like, I, I, I would ima- I, I like to think I'd say no, but I, I, I would be kidding myself, you know? Totally. Give me a snapshot of what it was like at the height of The Sopranos. When I was living in New York City when I was 19 years old, I would go out, or 18 maybe, I would go out seven nights a week when we weren't filming. 
you know? And right. It was like, we would wake up, everybody would get on their cell phones, call each other. This is before, like, texting was really popular. It was like, you still had to push, like, a fucking 75 buttons to get to one letter. And, I, and we'd call each other, like, yo, where are we going tonight? And it was like, okay, we're going to uh, Lot 61, or we're going to Suede, or we're going to Rehab, or we're going to... And it was like Pangea, and every single night, every day we'd call each other to ask where we were going when we already knew, you know? Because it's like, oh, you go to the same place every fucking week. And, right. uh... So that was my life, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm like, um, on TV, girls, because I was a fat kid, and then I lost all the weight, and it was like, I'm on TV, and I lost weight, and now girls are into me, and I was just, it was just like a fucking train that was going by you where you're like, holy shit, man, like, you're just, and I'm like, yeah, this is, uh, we did, we shot an episode of Sopranos where Terry Winter was directing, and, and I'm supposed to be depressed, and uh, my girlfriend broke up with me, I think it was Blanca, and sure. I'm laying in bed and I'm, I'm questioning the universe and this. And he comes in to kind of, you know, when, you, when you're directed in a big scene like that, you know, they give you motivation of something of, you know, well, here's what's going on or, you know, it's like this. And, that. and he's like, he's like, you know, when things are just so bad that you sit there and you just question, like, why are we here? What is this? And I looked at him and I went, not at all. <laughs> you know, because I was like, my... I, like I said, I was supposed to be fucking a poor kid who grew up and, you know, if I was like my – the only reason we had an apartment in New York City was because we all lived in my grandfather and grandmother's apartment and he was a super. So he got a, a first floor apartment in a brownstone or, you know, or actually sure. at, the, at the time he got a second second floor. He moved up to the second floor. But it was like without that, you know, I, who fucking knows? Like it, it would have been – Real bad. So Terry Winter is trying to come up to me while, like, you know, we have a trip planned to the Emmys next month where we're flying first class and I got girls calling my phone and this and we're sitting on the set of what people are saying is the greatest show ever. And he's like, you know, when uh, when you just don't know why, when you're just – you're questioning your existence. And then, and I just had to look at him and be honest and I was like, nah, dude. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I was like, I know exactly why I'm here. This is awesome. Right, but did it did it come back around though? Because you know, three years later, you're fucking hooked on Percocet and Xanax and freaking out. Like, were you like, oh shit, now I know what Terry's talking about? Like, oh, when yeah. you're in the depth. I mean, there, see, there that's were interesting. Other, there were definitely other things that that brought that uh, to light. And it's actually, you know, what's funny is it wasn't so much then. It was more so when I would get sober and have a clear head, and then it was like, holy shit, what are we here? like? When your head is clear, you can access all these different levels of like thinking that you can keep diving into and diving into where when you're taking Percocets, taking Xanax, drinking, smoking cigarettes, it's like as soon as my thoughts would start to get away from me, I'd be like, wait, hold on. Where's my – where are my cigarettes? Where's the lighter? Where's How do the, I medicate this? Right. right where's, exactly. where's the Percocet? Where's the – and you know, a, a lot of – it's it's weird to me how – because obviously I had fucked up shit happen in my life. Everyone has, but – People always want to hear that the root of your right um, addiction is ad- trauma. Addiction, or yeah, is trauma and this and and I think you know it was a combination of many things for me. So it was the trauma. Was it you know uh, my grandmother passing away? Like you know, there's there's a lot of shit. But um, what I really I think it's shit that I would have been able to handle if I was ever given the tools. And and what happened is. There, there, nobody ever talked about tools. You know, my family was a lot of uh, a lot of drinkers, a lot of people who you know would partake in drugs and this. But I remember being, you know, 
15, 16, and, and all of a sudden I kind of was getting access to parties and these things. And I'd be like, man, I, I don't like being here, you know? And then it would be 17, all of a sudden the nightclubs in New York City started opening up to me. And it was like, hey, you can go to the best nightclubs in New York City every night if you want to. And, this, and I would be in there and I'd be like, I fucking hate it here. Like, I, I, it's, right. all, it's all stuffy. Everybody's stepping on my fucking shoes. Everybody, like, all this stuff. I'm like, I hate this. I just want to be sitting in the park with my friends, like, smoking a blunt, laughing, chilling, or whatever. But every, when everybody found out that I was the 17-year-old who could get into these places, it made me feel they like— They wanted to go, right. Right, they want to go. Or also, it's like, man, you, you have the life. You have this. So I just kept having that in my head. And then I started realizing, whoa, if I drink— six vodka cranberries when i was 17 i'd be like i i love being at this place you know and then it turns into right. the six at 17 and then you know a little bit then you needed seven then you needed eight and, and then by the time i was 21 and it was like hey you know in sopranos we'd get a year off and i'd be like well what the fuck am i gonna do for a year and i was like i know i'm just gonna party and i'm gonna say something that's gonna annoy the shit out of you okay but i can't get off this thing like in those seasons before right before the sopranos ended AJ's out at the same clubs that you were at. Yeah, he went to Marquee. Yeah, bugging out, fucking having panic attacks, doing coke in the bathroom. Well, that's what what David Chase would do a lot is he would observe what was going on. You know, like I remember I wore a Pantera shirt with a marijuana leaf on it. And the next and I like came to set with a skateboard and the next, you know, episode of Sopranos, I was wearing a Pantera shirt with a weed leaf on it, riding a skateboard. You know, so he would, he once, you know, because he talks about this all the time. The first season or two seasons or three seasons, you're like, bam, 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 story. I got all this stuff in my head. And then when you start to get like, you know, episode 40, episode 45, episode 50, and you start to having to put these people in the script, you're like, oh, I don't know what, what's the thing? Like David Chase always talks about, he would get inspiration from the weirdest places, you know, or just sitting at his dinner table. He would ask his family, you know, what, what, what happened to you today? Just because he'd be looking for a fucking storyline. Right. I just think it's interesting though, as your drug addiction and your drug use escalated, the characters did. And I mean, it's fucked up because the character didn't have to pay the price and you did. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just an interesting thing. You know, I mean, I never acted in anything. I was just a fucking drug addict, whatever. But like, it's interesting to me that like, I don't know. Maybe it's not that interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting to me. Like, I don't. I can't believe you don't find that fascinating. Well, that- I think, you know, your character does so much shit, you know? It's like, okay, in this season, my character's the fucking football star, and I wasn't a fucking football star, you know? And it's like, in this season, my character's the... So, of course, you're going to attach to one thing, you know? It's like, it's like whatever that thing may be... Uh, I don't know, but when you do 10 years on a show and you go from a 12-year-old to a 22-year-old, there's certain things that are part of growing up that you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, when you're hitting puberty or when you're, you're making out on, a, on, a, on the couch with a girl and your mom walks in on the show and you're like, yeah, this happened to me in real life. Like I knew people who did dr- – like Jamie Lynn had scenes where she had to do drugs, but she didn't. It wasn't do drugs. Right, it wasn't her thing, you know? Like, she, right. like some people are where it it was always going to be my thing, you know? It had nothing to do with... Uh, AJ's thing. Yeah, with AJ's thing. I got you. Um, when, did you when did you know that it was going to be a problem for you? 
Uh, you know, it's interesting, right? Because I think most people realize it by the way it affects their lives and, and people's around them, people around them and letting people down and this. And it's like, because I was, I made, I was more successful than I was ever supposed to be. I never had a wife. I never had a kid. I never had that. Like there wasn't really a lot of like, man, if, if I don't, if I don't stop this, what it really came down to was my health, you know, like it, it came down to me being, 28 years old and uh feeling like i was fucking 60 you know and just everything sucked man it it was i would wake up every day and feel like such shit like i mean just absolute trash to, to the point where i remember thinking that the days that i wasn't hung over like and i woke up and i'd feel like shit i'd be like oh this is how you feel when you wake up you know, I'd be like, this is how everyone feels. Like, this is just, this is what's normal, you know? The same way, like, I thought the way people took shits was the way you take shit when you're taking 15 Percocets a day, you know? Like, I, right. I wasn't like, oh, right. yeah, you're fucking, like, you just, you start to get in such a mode of where, I don't know if it, if it was just a denial or not, no, but it's, you know, it was a weird thing. So, it really, it was my health, you know? I, I remember going to the doctor, and, and he was just like, man, you're, you're like, you're so unhealthy and you tell tell me these things and, and all this stuff you're doing. He's like, you know, you can't keep that up. He's like, you're very lucky right now. You're young and whatever. And what happened was I started – so when I was 20 around – I don't know exactly. You know, I was like 22, 23, 24 or something. I was doing coke every time I would drink. And every, the next day I'd be like, you know what? That's it. I'm done with coke. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, I never liked coke, honestly. Like I was like, I, I don't like coke. The only thing was – when I was drinking and I'd be 12 hours into drinking and I wanted to drink for three more days, the only sure. answer was Coke, you know? So right. it was like I'd be partying, I'd be with girls, we'd all be fucking hanging out or whatever. And it would be like, okay, like what are you going to go home now? Like you're getting tired. What, what's it? And it's like – which that's one, that's another one of those things, right, where it's like, you know, I, I didn't even have the own tools to myself to go, hey, man, you're tired. It's okay to go to bed. You know, like right. it, it was just like, no, man, like, you know, how are we going to You look for those easy fucking fixes of, of these things? And it was like, yeah, just do coke. So then it became, you know, probably again around 19 or so. It was like every time I drank, I was doing it before that, but 19, it became every time I drank, it would turn into a fucking three day you know, uh, Coke and, and partying. And, th- and then I would smoke a fucking carton of cigarettes every time I would drink and, and, sure. and I have asthma and just, and then I'd wake up and I'd feel like shit. So I'd start fucking taking Percocets. And when that would be like, you know, I'd be like, okay, well I'm just going to take, you know, Percocets two days this week. And it was all this stuff. So, um, when I was, I, so that's when I stopped drinking for nine months to be like, I'm going to stop doing Coke. And after nine months, I was like, okay, I'm going to start drinking again. If I ever do Coke uh, again, I'm never letting myself have another drink. Like, that's it. So, you know, you know, I, I knew I loved drinking and I hated Coke. So, I'm like, why am I going to risk this drinking for something I don't even like? Coke. Right. So, totally. then, you know, I start drinking again. Three months into that, I discover Molly, you know, and I'm like, oh man, this is fucking. I had done it before, yeah. but it wasn't something where I was like, man, you could do this every fucking night. Like it was just crazy to me, or like ecstasy or whatever. I was like, that, that you take a beating from that, you know. Yes. But uh, once I realized, oh, this keeps me up for three days, and I could just not stop drinking with this also. Then it just became Molly, you know. Every fucking time I drank, or you know, nine times out of ten, whatever it was, it was 
we're partying, we're doing Molly. We're partying, we're doing Molly. And I would always go out without it, you know? I wouldn't have it. I'd be like, no. And then, of course, like, you know, 3 a.m. would come around, and it was like, oh, how do we get it, you know? And you're texting right. everyone. And by then, you know, I'm, I'm New York City. I was on a TV show. I have enough numbers in my phone where, you know, it was maybe 5% of the time where probably less even where it was like, man, I can't find any, you know? You could get anything you wanted, and anybody would want to give it to you, you know, basically. Right. And then... Um, when I turned, so the last, when you say like, you know, when did you realize you got to, when I turned 28 on my 28th birthday, I remember being like, okay, the Molly's getting way out of hand. So what happened? On my 28th birthday, I go, I'm going to, uh, take Molly right now. And then I'm only going to do Molly a couple times a year after this. Like I'm, I'm done. You know, it's my birthday. My friends got me tickets to a concert. We're going to go and fucking go crazy. Madison Square Garden. And um, so I go to my friend's see? Who, uh, Sweetest House Mafia, which I didn't even – I'm not a techno guy at all. I, don't, I was only hip-hop, but they had one song I loved, you know? And uh-huh. uh, so I'm like, all right, we're just going to fucking do Molly, go to this concert, then we'll party for three days or whatever and, and hang out. So I show up to my friend's place, and we're drinking tequila at the counter. It's probably, you know, whatever, late afternoon, like maybe five or six. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to take five Molly now. And at the time, that wasn't crazy for me, you know, to start with five. I, 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 you know, I'd usually start with three or four or five, whatever. And uh, so I take five, and we're at the counter, and we're fucking smoking cigarette. You know, we're going to the roof, and we're smoking, and we're just in the zone. Like, we're, we're all fucking vibing. And around, you know, 9 o'clock at night, whatever comes, and they go, all right, we're all going to go to the concert now. And I go, well, I'm going to take five more so that when I'm in wow. this concert, I'm just on a fucking another level. This is my goodbye to, to Molly, you know, whatever. So I take five more Molly. And again, people hear this sometimes, and they're like, how did you even walk? Like, how were you fi-? And I was like, this was, you know, on a normal night. At this point, I would be up to five or six or seven or, you know, whatever. Um... So I, I now I'm on 10 and we're leaving and I, I tell my friend, I'm like, yo, give me uh, five of those. I'm going to put them in this ginger ale bottle with tequila. And during the concert, if I want more, I could just drink it. So they're like, all right. Wow. So we're rolling up to Madison Square Garden and I'm fucking out of your mind. Yeah. Uh, everything is fucking glowing and all the lights. I'm with my best friends and our arms are around each other. And we're like, oh, like the teeth are fucking clenched. It's like, dude, I love you so much, you know? And yes. We roll into Madison Square Garden, and right when I'm walking in, some dude goes, hey. And it was one of those moments where, like, my heart just sunk. Like, I didn't know why, but it was like, it's it's over, you know? Like, this amazing moment, everything that was about to happen, you're done. Like, I thought for some reason the guy was going to be like, you're on fucking exit. Like, I don't know. what. I just had a really bad feeling. And the guy's a security guy, and he goes, you can't bring that in here. And he points to the fucking ginger ale bottle with tequila. And I was like, poof. I was like, no problem, dude. And I just fucking chugged that. I throw it in the garbage. I throw it in the garbage can they have here. And cut to me, you know, 20 minutes later, going around Madison Square Garden, thanking people at the concert for coming to my birthday. Right. I'm literally like, I'm like, man, thank you so much. Like, you don't know what this means. Like, you know, just on another fucking – and I brought like 100 lollipops in in in, in my fucking hoodie pocket, and I'm handing them out to people. And I'm like, thank you for coming. You know, just a total insane. So And everyone's like, it's AJ thanking me for coming to his birthday party. Well, that's the thing. I had like a fucking – a scarf and sunglasses on that nobody knew it was me, you know? Nobody had a fucking clue. So I'm giving giving all this shit away and we're – and then Swedish House Mafia comes on and fucking hours and we're we're just peaking. Like everything is unbelievable. 
we leave the arena maybe like midnight or something. We go back to uh, after party. And I took about – in the next three days, I took about 20 more. So I'm, I'm probably – like I took about 35 molly between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And uh, I woke up – you know, I slept for however long. I woke up and it was Monday. And I remember thinking uh, the way that my brain was, I was like, I'm never going to be the same. Like right. I was so fucked up in a way I had never been before to where like I was – you know when you see like a dog who's been abused and, and he gets adopted <laughs> and he's just like sitting there shivering and if there's like a loud yeah. noise, you're like, oh, it's okay. Like that's how Damaged. my – Yeah, yeah. Damaged. And that's how my friends yes. were to me. They're like, dude, you're, you're all right. Like you're going to be okay. And I was just like – you know, I hadn't eaten in probably five days. I was uh, so – the amount of cigarette uh, packs that were – it were so disgusting and, uh, you know, we, it was, we were at like a three or four or five day party. So when I woke up, there were still friends of mine drinking and, th- and it was just, everything was so bad. And I'm like, okay, I, got, I need Xanax right now, you know? So I take Xanax, I go home and that's Monday on that Thursday, the girl I was dating was taking me out to dinner for my birthday. And I was a fucking wreck still Thursday. Like, of course. And I I'm had, sure you were a wreck for like six months. So you, right. You took like 30 fucking pills of ecstasy. Well, man. that's what happened was the on. So that Friday, I go to the doctor finally because I can't keep anything down. I'm thrown Dude, up. The most, the most ecstasy I think I ever took was like two hits. Like the idea of 30 hits of ecstasy, it's just bending my brain around my head. Like this is a serious story. Okay, you go right. to the so, doctor. And please. that's what I always tell people because people always say to me like, Oh my God, I've only taken four or five. Like, how could you do that? I'm like, well, it's because I was constantly building up to that, you know, living in Vegas. If I, if I thought about 30, I think it was crazy. You know, in Vegas, I was up to like maybe 15 at my max and that would be over three days, you know? So even though 20 more over three days sounds crazy, that's only like one pill every three hours, you know, which isn't even how I was doing it. You know, I'd probably take like three and then and then space it out a long time whatever so uh yeah it was about were you taking were you taking acid with it or mushrooms with it no, ever? Or was no. it just like ecstasy and coke and xanax so i had stopped coke so i was only taking uh molly that was it i was just taking uh pills or usually what i was taking when i was taking molly it was powder but i was taking wow. ecstasy pills too if that's what was around like whatever you know right. so uh, we're, so we're back to your story you right. took 30 and you went to the doctor so i go to uh, the doctor and my doctor's like, dude, he's like, when is the last time you ate a vegetable? And I'm like, I have vegetables all the time because in chicken fried rice, there's like peas and fucking carrots and this, and I love chicken fried rice. So I'm like, oh, I have peas and carrots all the time. You know, and he's like, what? And I, I tell him, I'm like, I say it like an idiot. I, I'm proud. You know, I'm like, oh, well, chicken fried rice, you got peas and this. And this guy's like, dude, you're a fucking mess. And he's like, I, so now I tell him it's been since last Friday since I've held any food down. You know, I'm like, I, I got nothing inside of me and he's giving me fucking taking my blood and doing all this shit. But he knows he's like, you're a mess right now. He's like, what what's going on? This is terrible. He's like, you're 28 years old. You're in such bad shape. This He goes, when you leave here, I want you to go to this place. And he sent me to like one of those places that make fresh green juice, you know, like a right. juice generation or one of these places. And he goes, mm-hmm. just get a juice with all vegetables in it. And I was like, oh, dude, I was like, you're killing me. He's like, no, you're killing you. He's like, trust me. Go in one of these places. And, dude, I swear, like you said, would you feel like shit for fucking six months or whatever? I went to this place, and I drank. I got a 32-ounce juice, and I told the guy, I'm like, yeah, whatever doesn't taste like shit that's really healthy. So he gave me something with, like, cucumber, kale, blah, 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 and apples. 
and pear, you know, so it, it, it masked the taste a little. And I drank that. Dude, I felt better than I had felt in... I don't even know. Like, besides peaking on fucking <laughs> ecstasy and Molly, right. but even then I felt like shit because my mouth tasted like cigarettes and everything. I drank this. You were just so vitamin deficient. You needed that. Right. And your body was like, holy shit, we're finally, finally, he's looking out for us. Yeah. It's like, and I legit yeah. hadn't had a vegetable in, you know, so, you know, I never had kale. Like, I people who ate kale were the same people who fucking meditated and did yoga. I'm like, those people are fucking losers, you know? Where now, I'm like, man, who knew the whole time those people had the answers, you know? Right. So it just right. then, right right after that, as soon I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not going to do fucking drugs anymore. And right after that, I got into uh, yoga. And that was just the thing that opened up the door for everything where I was like, holy shit, like... There's these other tools and these other ways, you know, because my family was a way of like when people were like, when you have a problem, you have to talk about it. My family was like, no, you don't like, you know, we don't fucking what do you mean? Fucking talk about it. Like be a man, you know, or whatever. They they weren't really like be a man, but it was just something that, you know, there was no introspection. That was not part of your family. Exactly. And I even had friends who like. You know, when they would say to me, like, hey, man, how are you? I'd be like, man, this guy's an asshole. Like, like, why are you asking? Like, that was offensive, you know? Like, if people went around being like, hey, man, how are you? I'm like, what are you trying to get at? <laughs> you know, instead of just, right, they're right. like, no, I'm your friend. You know, now I realize that I'm fucking 35 and sober and, and, and oh, I still smoke weed, but I always feel like I have to put that in. But let me, let me say something here, okay? Because I'm like blown away. Your story blows me away. But the thing that blows me away the most is that you didn't watch The Sopranos, right? So I want you to watch The Sopranos, and then I want you to call back into the show and tell me that your story is is totally mirrored by fucking AJ's story. It's going to fuck you up. You're going to need therapy when you watch but, The but, Sopranos. But if that's the case, then it's also all of my friends. You know what I right. mean? No, but I mean, no, dude. Just you, you, Will you watch it? I won't. Will you watch it ever? You'll never watch no. it. No, you you are the one millionth person. I mean, we got offers to do a Sopranos rewatch podcast. Uh, me and Jamie do it together, and I said no. I, I don't want to watch. Uh, I don't want to watch the show. It's so interesting because it's also part of your. It's like when you talk about the your family not wanting to be introspective. What the fuck? Do no, you I, I know what fan? you're saying, but I also think. Uh, like I said, it's this is like it's my story. If you talk to my dad, this is his story. If you talk to my uncle, this is his story. If you talk to nine out of ten of my friends, it's their story. Like it's that's kind of what happens when you grow up in New York City, you know. Like you you do drugs. You and my friends anyway, you know. You hang out in the park. You do drugs. You get you know once twice, a couple times a year. You fucking deal with the cops, and then it's just right. You know, because I when I see I mean, AJ. I see it as so different, right? Because I see, like, growing up in this big house, and he has both of his parents and his sister, and, like, the way I grew up, uh, I didn't have another sibling living with me ever in my life, you know? When I went up to my dad's for a little bit, uh, I did. But, like, in my apartment in New York City with my mom, my parents were never married. They were never together, uh, really, you know? And uh, my sister, my mom didn't have another kid until I turned 18, so for me, it was like I was a only child. I was growing up in an apartment in a building in New York City. My parents were never together. So I, I guess I see enough differences in AJ that like – and also, uh, you know, and just 
I just I always felt very different from AJ and also with all of my friends who, you know, were like, man, what you gotta play this dude who's like so fucking down the dumps and annoying and just like you wanna like you wanna beat this kid up sometime, you know, like especially I don't know, he was just a very like moody and the whole like you know, how he was with girls and like getting depressed and this, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? You know, we're like, so when I hear, obviously when you play a character for 10 years, you know, you're going to have the things that are similar and the things that are different. We just happen to have, we just happen to be talking on dopey. We're like, if this was a, a, a love life podcast, you'd be like, Oh, you're nothing like your character, you know, or a, a podcast right. about our well, parents yeah. or whatever. We'd be Dude, like, I'm just saying you're both, you're both addicts and you both <laughs> like had, had like fucked up. You just had similar, and I, dude, I'm not saying you're anything oh, like yeah, you. Yeah. I'm just saying, saying that these experiences mirror his story. You know what I mean? That's all. And, and I think it's, it's like, dude, like, I cannot tell you, like, I mean, it's funny because you never watched it. I, I mean, I, I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and I said, I have Robert Eiler, uh, who played AJ Soprano, coming on the show tonight. And he said, um, he said, oh, shit, you're going to have to brush up on your Sopranos. I said, dude, I know the Sopranos better than I know my life. Right. <laughs> and I, and, and I, I mean, I actually do. I mean, because I, I took, I, I'm the same way that you are when you're describing your life and you're going over ages and stuff. I don't remember anything because we both fucking took so many drugs, so many benzos that it's very hard to remember stuff, you know? Um, did you have any seizures? I had so many seizures. Never. Benzos. Yeah, I had fucking so many seizures. I, you're lucky. And, um, and, and I mean, like, dude, the fact that you didn't get into Oxycontin and heroin, I mean, I think that's a really interesting piece of the story in itself. You, you took this crazy detour into ecstasy, you know, which resulted in you finding vegetables and yoga and exercise. Right. Um, I have one more question, um, which is in, re- in reference to uh, James Gandolfini. Yeah. Um, just because I'm curious... You know, you were a kid. He played your dad. Like, how close were you guys? Very close. He, uh, he really, I don't know how, if it was just all luck, but he really went about our relationship in a great way, which was like when I was young, he, you know, he treated me like a kid and, and he would do things, you know, like he would go out of his way to call my manager and tell my manager, uh, not to tell me that he called and he would ask like, you know, once I turned 18, he'd be like, how much is he paying for rent? You know, is he, is he hanging out with the wrong kind of kids? Was he spending a lot of money on stupid shit? Like, is he buying cars and, and, and this? And my manager's like, no, no, you know. And I forget what my manager finally told me if it was after he passed away or what, but it was like, that's the kind of shit that Jim would do. It's like, you won't even know all the good shit that, that Jim did because he didn't want he didn't do it. It wasn't like this Hollywood thing that people think where it's like, you know, oh, they want people to know that they, like he didn't want anyone to know. But when when I was young, uh, you know, he treated me like, you know, he took me to go see my first play and like, you know, all these kind of things. And then once I got older, he uh, he flipped the switch and he kind of accepted me, you know, once I was like because I, I would drink at Sopranos events when I was like 16, I'd be drinking vodka cranberries or like smoking weed outside or when I would, I would hide it, you know? And then maybe around 
18, 19, it kind of got to the point where everyone's like, listen, what are we going to do? Like, you know, every fucking party we go to, this kid's drinking, he's getting drunk. And then, you know, whether it was 20 or 21 or whenever, like Jim finally accepted it and he he took me in as one of the guys. And then, you know, once I was 21, I would do like I did a casino appearance with them and it wasn't, it was cool not being the kid anymore. And just, right. but, but I was always treated like, you know, they would always look out for me extra and, and make sure, like, things like that. But it wasn't like, oh, shh, Robert's coming. You know, like like when I was 15, it might have been, you know, of like, oh, don't don't talk about this in front of the kid or this. But after a while, you know, like, I remember we would do read-throughs, which is everybody gets the script and uh, everybody in the cast, whoever's in the show, even if you have one line, you'd come to Queens and we'd all sit around a table and we'd eat and there'd be fucking sandwiches and soda and all this stuff. And a lot of people would be in their pajamas and you sit around and you read the script. Everybody reads their part and you see how the flow of the script is and the creator decides if he wants to make changes or whatever. And uh, I remember there was an episode where there was like a six-year-old kid or like a, you know, eight, ten, whatever he was, like a kid at the read-through. And you could tell the kid's parents were like so excited. And this kid is like, you know, he's too young to really know like the Sopranos or whatever. His parents are so excited. And Jim went over to, you know, whoever it was. I think it was like a PA or somebody. And he was like, hey, man, does this little kid, like every other word in this show is fuck. And we're killing people and we're describing sex scenes in this. And do you, could somebody, like, do we really need this kid in here to say one line? Like, couldn't somebody else say it? And just, so like, you know, you saw whispering in this and there were... You know, 50 people in that room, there were probably 50 people who led up to that decision, whoever invited him, whoever cast him, all this stuff, and nobody thought that. And Jim was the only one who was like, hey, maybe we don't want this kid in the room. So it's like he was just such a a good dude in when when nobody was even looking, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine because James Gandolfini was such a talent, and obviously the way you're describing him, he's so soulful. And, uh, you know, he was like a father figure to you and, and like the world lost him and you lost him. And it's, it's just crazy. Now, before we go, obviously your sobriety looks way different than my sobriety or somebody else's sobriety. But like when you look back at your life as a drug addict and your life now, does it feel like you're sober? Yeah, I mean... It's it's crazy. Like my, you know, I have a lot of friends who, when I moved, you know, I told you I went to Vegas for two weeks and I stayed for a year and a half. And I had some friends come visit me and they were like, they they once I got sober, they all told me they were like, I thought that was it for you. Like they were like, we thought there was no when we came out to visit you, it was just, it was dark, and it was you know like you didn't even seem like you were having fun anymore, you know, and and I. I would be, you know, the problem was it's like I would party for 72 hours and I would have a great eight hours, you know, and then and then again, it's like just not having the tools to realize like, hey, this isn't worth it. But I really think the biggest part of me getting sober with with alcohol, you know, alcohol is the main thing where it's like once you stop this, everything else will be easier. Um, It was the, the biggest part was like, well, then who am I? You know, who who am I going to, I'm the guy who shows up drunk everywhere. I'm the guy who, when people like, 
I would see friends or, so, you know, a friend of a friend who I hadn't seen in two years. And they would come up to me and be like, dude, the last time I saw you was at blah, blah, blah's birthday. Like, that was one of the craziest nights of my life, dude. We were out till fucking 7 a.m. and this. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, I'd be like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, like, I remember that night. Like, it was... I stayed up for like another two days, but yeah, I remember you like you were talking like your wife kept calling the phone and, and that's you know, that was my thing. Or like even when I when I go to these restaurants that I would go to to meet everybody before we went out to a club, I would always be wasted and I would give the fucking bouncers a big hug and the fucking I'd be in in the dr- in the bathroom at places doing drugs, so I'd see the bathroom guys and give them a fucking big hug and a twenty and, and just how you how you been, bro, and we talk about our life and this and then it's like how am I going to walk into that same restaurant or go into that same bathroom and not be the guy who's screaming and covered in sweat and just, you know, th- there's a lot more to it, but it was, it was down to that crazy, you know, of like, how am I going to be? Because I never really turned to alcohol. Like when people died, I wasn't the guy who was like, man, let's go to the bar. Let's sneak off to the, like people would drink in like in between the break of a funeral and I'd be like, how can you drink right now? Like if, if right. I, if I drink right now, I would show up to the fucking seven to nine, uh, a mess, you know, I'd be saying crazy shit. Like when, when life was real and it, and there were things really going on, I never turned to alcohol. It was when things were like, when, when you were successful and things were fun and it was good. And I was like, man, you know, what will make this more fun. Like, fucking up for four days and making yourself feel like shit and you know just feeling like the feeling of probably deep down that i didn't deserve happiness or or good things or this so yeah man once once i stopped the drinking and once i finally started like my head was clear and doing yoga it absolutely you know i i don't know another fucking way to describe the the way that I felt it was so sober and clear and 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 then you look back at the things you were doing four years ago and you're like what was I who was, was that guy you know what I mean right you finally yeah. you found who you actually wanted to be basically like because you you weren't that guy you know that guy is all fucked up that guy is on 30 fucking pills of ecstasy at madison square garden giving out lollipops which is an amazing that's like top five dopey story right there by the way so thank (laughs) you you for that the other thing that like joey diaz says right is like you found you find peace and i think that is such a big thing because when i was doing that it was always like i felt like i was like i needed more you know like oh man it's it's I, I I met this girl. She's cool, and like we just had sex, and it was good. But wait, wait till we have sex on X or what? Like right. it was always bringing it to the step because you're chasing something that's not there. Even when you do that, you're going to be looking for well, what's the what's the more thing that we're now? Like I'll sit and watch a fucking sunset and a breeze will come by, and I'm like, man, life couldn't be better than this. Right? You know, this like, is as I'll, good as it gets, kind of thing. It's satisfaction you feel. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and it's finding peace, you know. It's your life, you know what I mean? Like, and more power to you, man. I think it's it's amazing. And um, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on, and it's been a blast, you know, talking to you a little bit, getting to know you a little bit. It's nice. Yeah, man, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. This was great. So that was Robert Eiler, and I, I, you know, there is no one way to get sober. There's no one way to change your life. Um, it seems like he's profoundly changed his life and he didn't do it with, uh, 
you know, a program or a fellowship. But I think he has his own program. He, he eats well, he exercises, he fucking does his podcast, and he seems pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, that whole thing of just him suddenly feeling the effects of the, the, the green juice... You know, like like that he, instead of putting stuff in your, into his body to force it to do what he wanted it to do, he could put something into it that would, you know, answer its pleas. That's, that, that seemed to be to do the trick for him. It was crazy to me that he didn't see the similarities between him and AJ, though. That seemed insane. But the well, only... Well, except, no, except that he never saw the show. Right, right. He never saw the show. Right. So... You know, of course he doesn't see the similarities. He's got nothing to compare it to. Right. And I was just like, dude, you should watch the show because you'll learn about yourself. And he's like, do you think you're the only person that told me that? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, <laughs> I do. Um, but um, he's been incredibly helpful. And uh, I talked to him after that. And like, he's a good guy. And uh, yeah. he's definitely a friend of the show. And he uh, he loves what we're doing. And, you know, and, and for me, it's just an amazing thrill I mean, I think there's so much pressure on a kid like that who gets a part of arguably the greatest show in the history of TV when he's 12 and does it until he's 20, you know, and, and, yeah. and the character. Yeah, do. And not only yeah. that, but the character, you know, Tony says to him, uh, I, I, and you're my male heir, like he puts him down the whole way through. And that's got to be hard to be a teenager who's developing with a drug addiction. You know what I mean? It's got to be very confusing. Yeah, I, I have no frame of reference. You mean when you became that tap dance prodigy on the Upper <laughs> West Side and they were begging you to, to do all sorts of different productions, you can't relate to this? I, well, I, I, you know, there, there was a certain kind of pressure for me. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. It did, did, did force me to run to Russia. There's that. Um, uh, you know, th- I feel like this was one of the few uh, interviews you've done where y- you seemed tr- truly flabbergasted just by the, the sheer numbers, like how, how much he was doing. You know, oh, like, 30 hits just, of ecstasy is a lot of ecstasy. You know, I mean, I've, I mean, isn't, isn't that the kind of thing where, like, you think you're a lamp for the rest of your life? You, you know what I mean? Like, you hear stories like that. Like, you know. Did you ever take ecstasy? Yeah. I really, really loved ecstasy. Um, yeah, it was a good time. It was a, I mean, I needed to do it, like, in a, in a party setting. But, it, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty good time. I, I loved ecstasy. I loved how it made me feel. I never had the money to do a lot of it. And uh, I didn't, I, it's not like I ever was like, I'm going to be addicted to ecstasy now. You know what I mean? Like that never happened. There was one time uh, when I was addicted to heroin uh, that, you know, our high school friend John gave me like 50 pills of ecstasy to go sell. And I went to some Halloween party selling ecstasy, and I kept like five hits. And uh, and wait I wait a minute, is this is this yes my Halloween? No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. This is in my building. No, no, no. It was uh, it was it was in my twenties. You were in Russia, I think. Okay. Um, oh, I see. Okay. But John gave me a bunch of ecstasy, and I went to this party, 
And I so and I was like I was like I was like the drug dealer at the party selling ecstasy. And I like picked up some girl and I went back to her house and I did ecstasy and coke and heroin and um and like that night I decided I was in love with this girl. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I'm in love with this girl and I was just tripping so hard on the ecstasy. It was like well, wait, hold on. The question though is, did you like see her and talk to her? Later, without all of those substances, no, I never saw her again. Ah, that's 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 for the best because I, I have a similar story. It was there was also like a, a, a duro involved, and uh, like I realized that we had there was nothing to connect us physically or now or there was emotionally nothing except for that shared drug experience. It was like one of the most far out drug experiences I had ever had because I went over to her house with with weed, heroin, coke and ecstasy and we did all of it, you know, and that's not how I usually did drugs with people. So like and I I, I think I told her that I was in love with her. Um, In fact, I remember telling her that I was in love with her and then I never saw her again. It was like it was it was profoundly crazy. Um, anyway, um, yeah, that, that, I think I told that story with Chris, but like, I cannot imagine ever having 30 hits, taking 30 hits at once, buying 30 hits, but he had money and he was like a young and happening guy. So like, I mean, I've been hearing more and more stories of crazy numbers of LSD and ecstasy and it's like, you know, I never, I, I mean, when I would dose, I would take, if I took two hits, that was a lot. You know, and and I knew people that would take like five at a time, and I was just I wouldn't do it. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know me with with LSD and like you know, I don't even know how much I took. They just they were just putting the dropper into a bottle and then and then, and then onto my tongue, and I, I really don't know what what the dosage was, but but it affected me for years, and and it's somewhat maybe forever. <laughs> I mean. In some ways, I, I think it, it altered my brain chemistry forever on some level. It was liquid acid? That was the California story? Yeah, yeah. yeah it I was hope. out of a dropper. Yeah, it was like a bottle of it. Do you want to tell the story for old time's sake? Oh, God. <laughs> this is really horrifying. Well, I mean, I... Uh, well, it's kind of like what he was talking about. He was, It actually made me think of it, it when... when his story when he was, he was welcoming everyone to his birthday party only this was like the, the inverse I was not I was feeling like it was all about me but it was not a birthday it was not a party I thought that I uh, I was pretty sure that I had died already uh, in fact died in New York and my, my whole trip to California was the afterlife <laughs> and 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 that I was stuck in in this like hellish limbo, and it was like we got taken out. I was just so far out of my comfort zone. We were out in a black light party, like like way out off the highway somewhere in the forest, with all this, you know, with the black light paint everywhere, all over the trees and all over everyone's clothing, and I, I, I none of it made any sense to me, and I I lost my mind completely. And then, do you want to hear the terrible parts of the story? Yes, of Is that course. what you were wanting to tell? Yeah, so then they're driving me back, and I was like, 
I, I really had some weird ideas, but I, uh, I, I, I think, I think I started jogging down the highway, and they had to grab me and stop me from doing that, and and then I just, I just slowly but surely regressed to a child, and I, you know, I wet my pants at some point, just like for no reason, and then they stuffed me in the car, and then on the way back, I tried to, oh yeah, I tried to get out of the car while it was moving. Yes. I there had there was a there was like a skylight and I tried to burst out of the skylight. Yes. Ah, oh god, that was scary. They really they really had a rough time and and to thank them for saving my life multiple times, I screamed I'm birthing all of you and believed it while I took a massive shit in my pants that they all had to deal with for another like hour and all. That's all I wanted um, to hear. That's the that's that's the that's the piece I was waiting for, where Jim where Jim shits his pants on liquid LSD in a strange person's car in California. Did you ever talk to the people again? No, I did see him again um, at some point, and he did not want to, to like even shake my hand. If they they would burn that bridge, right? I mean, they had to just they had to you know he drove me home. He had to deal with his car. He had to throw away my underwear. Like, and I really didn't. I still didn't. I still thought I was dead. Like, I thought he was a, like a ghost or some angel, like shepherd me around. You know, they had to like give me a shower and take care of. Like, I was a child. Where did you, you know? see him again? Uh, I think at a supermarket, actually. I saw him online at a supermarket. Where? In, in, that summer I was in California. So you just sort of ran yeah. into him casually, and he's like, oh, yeah, you shit your pants in my car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wiped your asshole that night. <laughs> I, I cleaned your bottom. I, 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 I still have the image in my mind of him, like, trying to get my underwear off with sticks. He had these two sticks that he had cut, he had taken. I just, and I think I was fighting him. Like, I didn't know what was happening or, oh man. And I really believe that somehow I was birthing. Like, I had this whole thing in my head that I can't remember now, but that I was like giving birth to all of, of the world and them also. Well, you had the this. classic, the classic God complex trip, yes. which, which Chris yes. had. I never had a trip like that. I never had a God complex even moment, really. Um, but Dopey Nation, if you can think, I mean, like we told two similar stories, um, one of which was where I hooked up with this woman and told her I fell in love with her only to never see her again. And you uh, shit in some guy's car and then he, cha- <laughs> he changed your underwear and you saw him again one other time, but he never saw you again. So Dopey Nation, if you have a, a really embarrassing using story with somebody that you never saw again, you know, email it or, or send in a voicemail or something. Um, and, and Dopey Nation also, if you remember Jim and you remembered his shitting his pants story and you're disappointed that I asked him to tell it again, please write me an email or, or the, the converse. <laughs> tell me how glad you are that I made him tell that embarrassing story again. Um, so, Jimmy, read a voicemail. Read an email. I sent you two emails. Pick an email and read it. All right. Here we go. Hey, Dave and Dopey Nation. I wanted to take a minute and tell you how much I love Dopey and the Dopey Nation community. It's pretty special what you and Chris created. I started listening to your podcast when your story was first featured on This American Life. This person probably didn't hear that story unless they started from the beginning. Oh, 
And then the next line is, I went to the beginning. All right, so they did hear it. I went to the beginning and binged over the course of a couple of months. Now I listen every week, and I love the bonus mini Patreon episodes. Uh, I wanted to share with you and the DN one of my dopey tweaker stories. I'll remain anonymous, but I am one of the female members of the Facebook page. I'm only mentioning this because it might help knowing it's a woman telling the story. I was your average doctor shopping, pill junkie, functioning addict in my 20s. I had a normal looking life, career, marriage, house, etc. until I discovered meth. Once I hit the pipe, I knew that I had found what I had been missing my entire life. I traded my stable life for a gnarly drug habit. I was divorced and homeless six months after I started using heavily. I ended up living out of my car up until I got that impounded, and then I couch surfed in crack houses. At 30 years old, I had zero street smarts. I was living with a friend who rented his extra room out to addicts who paid him in dope. That sounds very familiar. Um, I, used to, guys, I used to do that. That's why it sounds very familiar, yes. One of these guys turned me on to slamming. I was immediately a forever, I was immediately and forever after spun out of my mind. Here's the hit them with the dopey part of the story. One day after a particularly large hit, I decided to, to go do laundry at the local community center because, of course, the squat I was living in didn't have running water. I was so visibly spun that another tweak, tweaker chick pulled me aside to tell me it looked like I had some really good dope. I told her I would hook her up. I had no experience with being a go-between, but I figured I could probably score a little for myself this way. I followed her out to a motor motorhome where her and her pals pulled their money together, and I called my contact to tell him I was heading his way. They ended, up, they ended up giving me over $200, and we agreed on a meeting place. As I was riding my bike back to the squat, I got to thinking that it was pretty trusting of them to hand over that much cash to someone they didn't know. Yes. I started, I started obsessing that they might have been setting me up or doing a controlled buy for the cops. Yes. You know how, twe you know how tweakers think. When I turned the corner on the, on the street, our house was on. I'm sorry. When I turned the corner on the street our house was on, there were three cop cars parked out front. I freaked the fuck out. I immediately turned around and started zigzagging my way out of the neighborhood. I knew our squat had been busted, and I was person stupid enough to lead the cops there. My first stop was to a thrift store where I used some of the drug money to buy a new outfit so that I wouldn't be recognized. LOL. I knew I couldn't go back to the people I that gave me the money because they were probably cops. I hid out until dark and then rented a hotel room. I got high all night obsessing I got high all night obsessing about the cops after me and everyone living in the house getting busted because I led the cops there. I ended up staying in that hotel room for three nights, spending all the cash they had given me. During that time I only went out once to buy a burner phone and dye, and hair dye so that I wouldn't be recognized. I love that. I only had a little speed left, so I ended up sleeping most of the time I was there. After running out of money and drugs, I was super jonesing to get high. I called the only person I knew, the connect I was supposed to meet up with at the house that was busted. I was surprised when he answered and somehow convinced me to meet up <clears throat> in the part of town where I rented the room. 
when he got there, he asked him what happened the other day when I was supposed to come home and make the buy for the motorhome people. I told him about the cops and how I thought the house had been busted. It turned out the cops were at another house on the street for a domestic disturbance. Oh, my fucking God. I had unintentionally ripped off the motorhome people who I thought were cops, left my friend hanging thinking he was going to make a big sale, ran from the non-existent police for three days while disguising myself, and ended up owing some scary people a lot of money. I stayed away from that part of town and never ran into them again. Maybe they were cops after all. L-O-L-O-L-O-L. Exclamation point. I hope that made sense. Tweaker stories are hard to tell. Thank you for everything you do. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. I love that story. My favorite part of the story is the disguises. I think drug addicts who have to get disguised is the best. I was impressed. It seemed like uh, she really had her wits about her. I mean, after getting really paranoid and making it all up in her mind. This is not the first story where somebody wound up like getting a disguise or a wig or dyeing their hair, but I always love them. I think that's just so funny. <laughs> you, you never know, did that. No, no. I mean, the closest was was a classic story in college where we were tripping mushrooms and Devin went to visit me at my college and he disguised himself as the cafeteria worker to go eat for free. Um, he, he put on he were, we're, we're tripping acid or mushrooms or something And we're all eating in the cafeteria And we gave him the cafeteria worker's outfit So he could go and eat for free And he walks down the steps tripping Like kind of tipping his hat to everybody So he could eat for free um, And it was really, really funny You know, the funniest thing to me, Jim And I feel this all the time You know, I go to 12-step meetings you know, obviously I'm in recovery. I do this podcast about uh, drugs and addiction and recovery and dumb shit. And I feel like I wasn't ever a drug addict now. Like I have such a middle class suburban life. I feel like right. disconnected from it, even though I'm totally connected to it. Like, can you reassure me that I was actually addicted to drugs for many years? Well, here's the last. In addition to watching... Um, the Mike uh, Michael Jordan thing. I also binge watched uh, Dave Chappelle, and also made me think of you because when he accepted the uh, the Mark Twain Award, yeah, yeah, he yeah. talked he talked about um, you know he he dropped out of the world for like for twelve years, right, and. That's not unlike what you did. And and somehow, you know, when he came back, he was even more even more honest, even braver, even more determined because he had faced this like the scariest thing. He had lost it all. Already he already had lost it all. Right. So what you know, there was nowhere else to go. You know? And and um I it just it you know, it made me think of the you know it was the good ten years where twelve we were twelve yeah where we were all pretty pretty sure you know that that we had seen the best of you and and that was probably going to be it isn't um, it isn't it funny like I mean you're right and it's weird that I can say that but it, it's it's weird that I can live such a conventional life right now and be so removed 
from the way I was when I was an addict. But I also took a ton of drugs, and I probably my memory is fuzzy, and I and I'm so busy with my family and work and all this stuff. But you know, the most amazing thing is that. I was that bad. I was dropped out. I could have died at any second, and I got better, and it means that anybody can, really. It means that if you make a decision to try, you know, you don't know what your potential could be. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, there would definitely be no no dopey. I mean, you know... I also love that the two people that you are so sure that I'm like are both black with bald heads and are multi-millionaires <laughs> or almost billionaires, the most successful people in their, in their game. It's like Dave Chappelle, Michael Jordan, and Dave from Dopey. It's like, obviously. But I appreciate that. I don't that. know. I don't know. You know, you, you know, Dave, that this is the thing. It's like you – you've always had this crazy determination mixed with this very – very high level of ambition both of those guys had that they both started when they were very very young you know like you know almost out of high school just like you you just just from your sheer like will and and your people skills all right just no, come on just come on give me a no, break I'm just you, you were on mtv in high school and which is what i think essentially why you you know it, it came way too quick and way too fast and way too easy and then when the real work came that was that was too much for you but now i feel like you 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 know you kind of enjoying the work to some degree no i love the work i also just love the community i love uh i love the people i i feel like the dopey nation like we're crawling towards something bigger and better and i think it's very exciting and i'm i'm very happy uh to be able to do it obviously the worst thing is that chris can't do it you know um but thank god anybody benefits from his you know tragedy right it's fucked up man yeah. it's a fucked up fucking story you know um but i do appreciate you saying such nice things about me i think you just feel guilty about being such a dick before <laughs> i do i swear to god i had all this I'm not. I'm not making it up on on the spot. The stuff was, you know. I told you I was looking forward to this conversation. I just had to get all the other stuff out of the way. Well, I think this was. This might have been your greatest dopey appearance ever. Congratulations. I, I, uh, thank you. I, I well, we'll see what the what the fans have to say. All right. So wait, it's really important that you go on iTunes and subscribe to Dopey and leave a five star okay. review. Oh shit! You know, check this out. Some dude left this review. Uh, and, and my dad hasn't been on the show for a little while, you know? Yeah, that's true. Those are, those are the best. Your dad and Linda are the best. Well, my dad hasn't been on in a while, but somebody wrote this. One star review, not posting bad reviews by VC at O. And he wrote, or she wrote, not cool, but actually makes sense for this production to roll this way. What the fuck does that mean? Like, what the I fuck no does idea. that mean? Tell me, what does it mean? I have no idea. Is he is he angry that you're telling people not to write one star reviews? I, I you know I have to say one other thing, Dave. Which it's funny that you said you right before you 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 read that review. I was about to say leave a five star review unless you want Dave to read your review on the air. In which case, 
Leave a one-star review, and you'll definitely get don't, on the air. Don't say that. Please I don't. Shh, 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 shh. Favorite one to read on the air. Please and don't. Then that's what you read. Please don't say that. I'm, I'm going to read a five-star review now. My my <laughs> my new jam by LFA twenty. This is what the, our previous conversation was all about. You focusing on you know the, the, those the the one person who didn't do the thing that you wanted them to do instead of the thousands of people who are with you. These motherfuckers have a lot of nerve. Is all I have to say. <laughs> Um, here we go. My new jam, five stars by LFA 2020. I came across your podcast a couple weeks ago and instantly became hooked. I am coming up on eight months clean, and your podcast has been oddly therapeutic. My boyfriend is in recovery as well, and I got him hooked too. Every time we get in the car, he asks for me to turn it on. So last night, I showed him where the podcast app was on his phone and subscribed for him. Thanks for being real, and toodles for Chris. That is beautiful. Thank you very much. Everybody subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. Send in five, star. five stars, not one star. One star hurts me. <laughs> it damages my psyche. Don't my, hurt Dave. Yeah, Don't my delicate Dave. my delicate psyche. He, he really takes it to heart. I he can't handle it. Guys. He cannot handle it at all. I can't handle it. I can dish it out, but no. I just I just can't take it. <laughs> Um, anyway, Jimmy, thank you very much for coming on. Um, yeah, my dope, pleasure. My dope, great pleasure. Dopey Nation, if you miss my dad on the show, uh, write an email. Maybe, maybe he'll come back. Maybe not. There you go. No, he'll come back. My dad, my dad is like living the life of, of Riley. Is that what you say? The life of Riley or life of Ryan? Riley, right? I don't know what you're talking about. It's an expression. It's the life of Riley. You don't know okay. a lot of expressions. Um, <laughs> He's like having the summer of his life. He's like living at the lake because the city is so bad and he's actually enjoying yeah. himself. So it's nice. That's awesome. Yes. He's like having dinner with friends and doing this and that. Last week he texted me, I can't do the show tonight, which is interesting because he never does that. Anyway, look for my dad soon. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. Thank you, Jim. And uh, Thank you, you want to say goodbye first? You say goodbye. You end it for us. I'm no good at ending it. Okay. Stay strong, Dopey stay, Nation. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and, and toodles for Chris. Yes, fucking toodles for Chris. There you
Thank you very much.